this morning I want to talk to you about what to do when you find yourself in that spot where it's, it's crunch time, right? This is, this is this time that it is, man, it's, it's important. And then what we do when we find ourselves in those defining moments, in those, in those defining situations. Book of Daniel was written about 2,600 years ago. In, in approximately 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the Babylonians, they invade Judah. They invade Jerusalem. And they, they, they conquer Jerusalem and they take much of Jerusalem captive. And you'll see in Daniel chapter 1, uh, the beginning of this story, it tells us this in, in Daniel 1.1, 1, 1, it says that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, uh, carried off, uh, and uh, he carried it off to the temple of his God in Babylon, and he put uh, some of it in the treasure of the house of his God. And then the king ordered um, one, of his, one of his servants, he, he, he ordered Ashmanaz, chief uh, of his court councils, uh, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and, and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, uh, and, and those that would be quick to understand, and, and he wanted them to serve, right? He wanted those that would be qualified to serve in the king's palace. And, and it was the responsibility of Ashmanaz to, to teach them uh, the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Now, it really is, it's a, it's a smart thing that the king wants to do, right? Because here's what the, king, what the king recognizes, is that he's conquered this land, but in order for these people to serve him for a, long, for a prolonged period of time, to keep them from rising up against him at some future time and, and, and mounting an insurrection against him, the, the smart thing to do would be to take a group of the influencers of these people that he just conquered, teach them the traditions and the customs of the Babylonians and get them to be a part of of serving in the king's regime, thereby getting their family to come along and follow as well. It really, it's a a great strategic move on the part of Nebuchadnezzar uh, and and we, we understand why we also... We find this, that the, the young men that, that were taken captive, the young men that were asked to serve in the king's court, they find themselves at a pivotal place in life. They find themselves at a place that we, we could call it crunch time. Okay, th- this, is a, this is a moment, it's a situation where victory or failure hangs in the balance. And, and among the among the young men that are selected is a young man by the name of Daniel. And then uh, Daniel's friends. And it's interesting to me that we refer to Daniel's friends as who? Ready? Help me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? I mean, that, that says, growing up in church, you heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They end up in the fiery furnace. Here's, here's what I want you to I want you, I want you, what I want you to notice in Daniel chapter one. That's not their name, right? You'll, you'll see this here. It, it tells us in verse number seven that the chief official gave them new names. Their names were Hananiah, 
Mishael, and Sariah. And yet it's the, it's the Babylonians that want to change their name. I want to talk to you about how to walk with confidence in a challenging and in a confusing world. And it starts, one of God's keys for confidence is knowing who you are. Being able to walk in that, being able to walk in your identity. In 1952, there were approximately 110 phobias or mental disorders according to the American Psychiatric Association. Today, there are well over 400. We're told this, that over 55% of Americans will have some sort of mental disorder during their lifetime. And that's interesting to me. And, and I hear people say this all the time. They say this, man, if they had ADHD around when I was a kid, right? And some of us, we, we embrace this. And, and, and here's, here's what's interesting to me. It's interesting to me that, that the names that we use or the terms that we use to describe ourselves and I believe that it's noteworthy that the vast majority of the names that we use, the terms that we use to describe ourselves, are not affirming terms. They're not affirming names. Right? We'll, 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 we'll refer to ourselves by some of the over 700 phobias that are out there. Right? And, 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 and we'll throw all this nomenclature on us. We'll throw all this description on us. We'll throw all these names on ourselves. I'm schizophrenic. And so am I. I'm... I am a... I am an... I'm an alcoholic. I'm a... Right? We've got all these different... All these different names that that society wants to put on you and that the world wants to put on you, that, he wants to, that they want to put on us. And yet, God has given you a name. Let me say that again. God has given you a name. Don't, don't accept the name that the enemy, don't accept the name that the adversary wants to speak over you. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to believe all these different lies? So, one of, the, um, one, of the, one of the really cool things about these uh, trips to Israel that we do is, is people learn much more about Scripture. And they learn, uh, I find this, that Scripture goes from, t- from two-dimensional to three-dimensional for them. And, uh, and, and, and even though I've done these trips uh, multiple times, I learn something every time. Okay, so for example... I did not know this until being on this trip, uh, but our, our tour guide that we use, he is, he is passionate about etymology. And, and so uh, we, were, we, were in the, we were in the shepherd's field, okay? and the, the shepherd's field, the place where the shepherds watched over their flock by night, that is the same field that Ruth went and picked up grain. It's that same field where she meets Boaz. And, and in the story of Ruth, Ruth is 
a, a widow. She, 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 she had married one of Naomi's sons, right? Naomi was married to a gentleman by the name of Elimelech. And Naomi had two sons, Malon and Kilion. Malon, that name means infirmed. Isn't that interesting? He died at an early age, and his name in Scripture is infirmed. Naomi had two daughters-in-law, one that went with her, Ruth, one that did not go with her, Orpah. Do you know what Orpah means? It means to turn your shoulder to. And, and here's what we find. We find this, that, that names matter. Names mean something. I, I get irritated when people get my name wrong. My name is Edwin. Say it with me. Ready on the count of three. One, two, three. Edwin. People sometimes will call me Edward. I don't like that. And, and if you're here and you're an Edward, I, I'm happy for you, and, and I would encourage you to embrace your name and embrace your identity. And Edward, it's a good name. Edward means friend. That's not a bad name, wouldn't you agree? Okay, all of you that are Edwards, you like that? That's pretty good, right? Edwin means wealthy friend. <laughs> Do you understand why I'm protective of my name? And see, there's a, there's a name that God gives you. There's a, a name that God speaks over you. And knowing who you are. So in, in, in Daniel 1.7, it tells us this. It tells us that, that, the, the, that Ashpenaz gives them the names, right? To Daniel, he gives them the name Belteshazzar. But then you look, and I, I, I love the fact that it tells us this in verse number 7. But then in verse number 8, it says, but Daniel... Right? Daniel's never referred to as Belteshazzar. He walks in his true identity. He walks in his, in, in, in his right name. So one of the keys for confidence in a very confusing world is understanding your identity. And here's what God says about you. You are a beloved child of God. You are not a stranger or an alien. You were bought with a price right? You are a, I love this, you are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He has called you out of darkness to walk in his glorious light. Recognize that the world and the enemy will try to speak these negative things over you and try to speak these negative names over you. Do not embrace that. Don't do it. Do not allow yourself to be defined by the names that they want to speak over you and do not allow yourself to be defined by the difficulties that you face. See, you're not supposed to be defined by your difficulties. Your destiny is not determined by your difficulties. And your destiny is not determined by your habits. Habits are learned and habits can be unlearned. Habits are learned and habits can be un, uh, are unlearned. And your destiny does not have to be determined by and should not be determined by your habits. Your destiny is determined by the name that your Heavenly Father has spoken over you. My challenge to you, my encouragement to you is embrace that. Embrace the name that God has given you. Beloved child, 
son, daughter, joint heir with Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone convince you of anything other than that. Because here's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to live your life in guilt and shame. Guilt, I did something wrong. Shame, I am something wrong. And he'll speak those things over you and try to convince you that somehow you are fundamentally and fatally flawed. Don't do it. Don't embrace it. Have an understanding of who you are, at core, who you really are. That's the key to confidence. The other key to confidence is is knowing what you're supposed to do. Knowing what you're supposed to do. It's very important that we, that, we know, that we know who we are and knowing what we're supposed to do. And, and the key to knowing what we're supposed to do is understanding the motivation behind that. And, and we'll understand the motivation behind that when we have an understanding of, of who it is whose approval is most important, who it is that we're trying to please. See, in, in verse number seven, Daniel has tried to be given a new name, Belteshazzar. But in verse number 8, his character comes forward when it says this, but Daniel would not defile himself. He's not going to do it. He's not going to embrace that name. He's not going to embrace the game plan. He's going to walk with character and he's going to walk with integrity. But here's what it says in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. It would have been so easy in Daniel's situation to say this. I find myself in a new environment. I find myself in a new situation. I find myself facing a new paradigm. You know what? I'm, not, I'm no longer in Jerusalem. And I appreciate the commands and the laws. I appreciate the guidelines that God has given me. I appreciate the guardrails that he's challenged me to live my life within these guardrails. But you know what? It's a new world now, and I'm no longer in Jerusalem. I'm now in Babylon, and if I'm going to go along, I've got to get along. If I'm going to survive, I've got to play the part. And so surely God will understand. But here's what Daniel Believed, embraced, and knew that character always counts. Character always counts. Here's how Paul puts it. Paul says this, For am I now striving to please God or men? For if I'm striving to please men, I am not a bondservant of Christ. I want to tell you something this morning that I think will set you free. Well, I hope it will set you free. It is much easier to please God than it is to please church people. Come on now. That's almost worth a second offering. It is is much easier to please God than it is to please church people. Right? Why? Because God looks at us not through eyes of judgment, but God looks at us through eyes of grace. So among the places that we visited um, in, our, in our tour of Israel and Greece, we were in Corinth. And, uh, and being in Corinth, uh, we were able to stand in front of the, the place of judgment. And, and, and they actually, they've got it marked right there. It says, Bema Seat. 
And the Bible talks about judgment, and it talks about people standing before two places of judgment. It talks about us standing before the Bema seat for judgment, and it also talks about the white throne of judgment. And, and here's something that I believe is vitally important for a child of God to know, that if you have accepted the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ makes available to you, you do not stand before the throne of judgment. You don't. You don't, you don't stand before God and have to give an answer for all your faults and failures. And here's the reason why you can be confident of this. Because God's word declares, and it does not lie, that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separates your sins from you. I love to ask people this question, this, this trick question. Is there anything that God does not know? People go, oh, no, 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 God knows everything. God is, God is, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. He's, he, he's everywhere all the time, he's all powerful and he knows everything. It's not true, there are things God doesn't know. Some of you right now, you're squirming in your seat a little bit and you're going, uh, I always knew this day would come when pastor would go off the deep end and here we finally, it has finally arrived. <laughs> Let me help you. That ship sailed a long time ago. But here's what you can be confident of. Here's what it says in scripture. It says, God speaks this over you. I choose to remember your sins no more. So let me tell you what God does not know. God does not know my sin. And God doesn't know your sin. Why? Because he's chosen to forget it. Okay? So if God has chosen to forget your sin, how then can you be judged for it? See, when we go before the judgment seat, we go before the Bema seat. And what the Bema seat was, it was a step up. Okay? That's literally what it means. It means a step up. And it was a step up, and it was the place where the person who was observing would declare the victor. And it's where the victor would receive the, vic the, the victor's crown. And so when the word of God says that the believers will stand before God in judgment, we do not go before the white throne of judgment. The white throne of judgment is the place where those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord will receive the sentence that is due. And that is eternal separation from God. But for the Christ follower, our judgment is for our reward. Why? Because you can be confident of this, that God is a rewarder. And, 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 and Daniel, knowing that, he, he's not, he's not going to choose temporary comfort. He's not going to choose temporary pleasure. Because he... He understands who he is. He also understands who it is that he's trying to please. And that's the reason why he's comfortable with what it is that he's called to do. Look at this in, 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 in Daniel, in Daniel 1.18. Here's what we see. It, it tells us this. That the king talked with them, with Daniel, with Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah. And he found no equal to them. And so they entered into the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, it would seem strange. It would seem strange that God's plan 
for a young man that walks with character and integrity that that young man would serve a king who did not embrace his values. A a king who had actually conquered God's chosen people. And yet, Daniel recognized that this was what he was supposed to do. Why? Because the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. And here's what you can trust God in. When when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when, when those three Hebrew men, when they faced the potential of the fiery furnace, right, they, they stood before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had made this, this massive golden statue. And everyone was to bow down to it. And these three young men, they, they could not do that because they, they, could not, they could not worship something other than God. By the way, tangentially, do you know why, do you know why in, the, in the first century why so many Christians were put to death? It wasn't because they worshipped God. The Roman Empire had no problems with Christians worshiping God. They had, they had hundreds of gods. To, 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 to declare that there was another God didn't bother the Roman Empire at all. It wasn't an issue that they believed in God. It wasn't an issue that they worshiped God. Here was the issue. They declared him Lord. They declared him Lord. And so it was that issue that he's not just God, but that he's in charge. Okay? And that's it. It's not just that he's, it's not just that he's God, it's that he's in charge. That's what lordship means. It means the person who's in charge. And so Nebuchadnezzar had no problem with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Esariah, had no problem with them worshiping their God, had no problem with them praying to their God. Here's the thing. He found that it benefited him. But here's where he struggled. He struggled with them saying, our God is Lord of all. So he makes this big, massive statue and and they're to bow down to it, right? And Nebuchadnezzar comes to him and says, listen, boys, I like you. I really don't want to put you to death, but I've said that anybody who doesn't bow down to this golden statue, that they have to be thrown into a fiery furnace. So I'm gonna give you one more chance. If you, uh, if you bow down, it's all good. If you don't bow down, I've already given my word, you're gonna have to go into the fiery furnace. And here was their response. They said, uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, as it relates to this matter, we don't, we don't have to respond to you. We will not bow, and here's what we know. We know that our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. And what's interesting to me is this. 
is they end up having to go into the fiery furnace. Do you know who perishes? Not the three Hebrew young men. But those who perish are those who are tending to the fire and those who throw them in the fire. And, and here's, here's what I want to tell you. This is kind of a free bonus. It's kind of a, little, a free uh, side part to, to this morning's message. Um, don't pray for your deliverance prematurely. Let me say that again. Don't pray for your deliverance prematurely. Because God has a plan for your every step. All right? And when you're facing the, when you're facing the fiery furnace... When you're not just facing the specter of the fiery furnace, when you're, walking, when you're walking into the fiery furnace, don't ever wonder if God has forgotten you. Don't ever wonder if somehow he's lost your address. It's very important that we know who we are, that we know who we're trying to please, that we know what we are supposed to do and we know why we're supposed to do it. So back to, this, back to the story of, of Daniel real, real quickly. I, I want you to do this. And, 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 and with this, I'm, I'm going I'm to bring our, our time to a close. In, in Daniel chapter 2, it tells us this. That in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So he, he, the, the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Uh, and, and, and when they came in and they stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, and they answered him in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream and, and we will interpret it. And the king said, this is what I firmly have decided if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it. It's really a smart call on the part of, uh, of the king, right? The king's having this troubling dream. So he calls those who seem to have some ability, some power to... To, to, to work magic and interpret dreams. And he says, I want you to tell me what my dream means. And they go, okay, tell us the dream and then we'll interpret it for you. And he goes, no, 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 that's too easy. I want you first to tell me the dream that I had. And then, and then interpret the dream. Then I will know that truly you know what you're talking about. Aha. Oh my goodness, okay. And at this point the magicians are going, um... So, like, we're really good at making stuff up, uh, but um, actually having to really tell you what you dreamt, yeah, that's, that's outside of our realm of, of understanding. Uh, a couple of days ago, we were in, the people that were with us on this, on this, um, this trip to Israel and Greece, we were in, um, we were in, Delphi, Greece. And Delphi, Greece is, um, in, in Greek culture, it's considered to be the navel of the earth or the center of the earth. And there's a large temple there, and it is the place where the oracle was. Okay? So in, in, in ancient Greek times, anytime they were facing a difficulty, they would go and they would seek the counsel of the oracle. And, and the way this worked, there was a, there was a virgin, okay? She was the she was the Pythia, right? And the Pythia would have these 
these, these, these words that they believe that came directly from the gods. All right? And so, um, so Pythia would have these, these visions, and then there were prophets there that would interpret the visions, and they would tell people what to do. All right? Uh, so how did this happen? Well, here's what they found. They have found this, that, um, that the reason why Delphi became what they believe the center of the universe was because people, when they were in this particular spot, they would have these, these dreams or these hallucinations. Why would they have these dreams or these hallucinations? Well, in Delphi, there are three tectonic plates that come together. Okay? And, 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 um, and so there's cracks in the earth. So out of these cracks in the earth, these gases would come, right? This is, this is, this is basic science. This isn't mythology. It's basic science, okay? So gas, gas would emit from the earth. You know there's gas in the ground, okay, right? Methane, any of you use LP gas? They, you know, they get that gas, they pipe it out of the ground, right? So anyway, they would, they would in this area, there was this gra- gas that would emanate from the ground, and it would cause people to have hallucinations. And they determined that, that it must be messages from the gods. And so they built this temple over this methane gas leak. And, and so, I'm not making this up. Uh, and so the virgin would sit in there, and she would, she would, she would be sitting in this, in, this, in this gaseous state, and she would begin hallucinating. And when she first started hallucinating, it would somewhat make sense. But most of the time, she would just be sitting there uh, espousing gibberish, right? And, and, the, and, the, and the wise sages that were around her would be, I believe this is what the Pythia said, okay? So, for example, one of the great defeats that, Greek, that Greece faced uh, was when the Persians came to attack them, and, and, the, and the Greeks had these, they had these multiple walls uh, made of stone, right? And Pythia sitting there in the oracle, they come and they go, listen, the Athenians come and they go, listen, um, um, great oracle, Pythia, li- listen, we, we, the, the Persians are coming to attack us. What should we do? And she says, you should build a wall out of wood. Wood? We've got massive stone structures. We're going to build a wall out of wood? And, and here's, what, here's, what, the, here's the, what, the, what the prophet said. She must have meant boats, right? Surely she meant boats because she wouldn't have meant woods. That's just craziness. I think it's crazy to listen to a, a, a woman that's hallucinating on methane gas, but that's just me. Right? And, uh, and, and, and here's what we find. We find that, that, that people, in, will, we will embrace some of the goofiest, craziest things. And, and here's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. He didn't want some woman espousing gibberish and some guy going, well, here's what I think she said. He'd seen this. He'd been played too many times. He says, no, 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 no. You're going to tell me what my dream was, and then you're going to interpret the dream. If you don't, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy your entire, entire household. Okay? And so... Uh, so this, they, they replied, okay, and, um, and they said, um, king, please tell your servants the dream and we'll interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you don't tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. 
You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it uh, for me. And the astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. And now this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Which would include Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Right? So the, the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And he asked the king, or, or he asked the officer rather, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah and Meshach Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was re revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the, the dream of the king. And then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said this, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. God's plan when four young Hebrew boys were put into the service of a foreign king was that through these, and specifically in this situation through Daniel, that the life of many would be spared. It's really easy in life to go, God, the situation that I find myself in, it doesn't make sense. What you're asking me to do, it's, it's, it's tough for me to reconcile it. God, I, I look at the promises in your Bible and it, it doesn't appear that in my current season that any of these promises are coming true to me. In fact, I'm facing difficulty and hardship. I feel as if I'm a slave to a foreign, to a foreign king. And in those times, in those seasons, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, when you find that life is a substantial uphill climb, here's the strategy that God has for you. Don't ever forget who you are. And don't let the world or anything around you speak a different name over you. Never forget who you're trying to please. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
recognize and be faithful to whatever it is that God puts in front of you. And here's what you can be confident of. That God will never ask you to do anything that's unethical, immoral, or illegal. Because the character of God doesn't change. And so even though Daniel is in the service of an enemy king, Daniel can still do that with character and integrity. Because God had a bigger plan for him. And just as Esther said in her situation, who knows, but that God had created him for such a time as this. Because all things do work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. God, I thank you. I thank you that when when life presents challenges and when we find ourselves in that place that is a defining moment that we can walk with confidence because you affirm to us who we are. You speak these words over us. You speak identity over us. You speak connection over us. We can walk with confidence as you help us to remember that which really matters. To seek you first. To put no other gods before you. For you to be our first love. God, you give us clarity in what it is that we're supposed to do. And thank you that there's, a, that there's a purpose in every part of it. God, I pray today for those that are here today that are caught in identity confusion. They have embraced what others have spoken over them. They've they've even spoken incorrect and unhealthy things over themselves. And God, right now, in this moment, I pray that, that your presence would be paramount. I pray that your voice would be clear. I pray that your touch would be tangible. And that the identity that you have for your son, for your daughter, for these your children, God, that their understanding would be clear, that their spiritual eyes would be open, that their heart would be turned. And that in this moment that they would reject this ungodly, untrue, negative identity that others have spoken over them and that they have spoken over themselves. And that in this moment 
that they would grab hold of, that they would embrace the identity that you have for them. Recognizing that it's your opinion that matters. That each one of us, God, that we'd be that we'd be able to step away from, from trying to prove ourselves to others. And instead, that we would position ourselves in a way that reflects your heart and our desire to please you. God, give each one of us here the confidence to, to walk in the steps that you have for us. To do the work that's in front of us. Knowing that you have a far greater plan for what it is that you've called us to do than than we can even see in the moment. So God, I I pray first individually for, for every person in this room That as they leave this place today, that they wouldn't leave with arrogance, but they would leave, but they, they would leave with an unshakable confidence. As they go out into the highways and byways and, 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 and live, live life in the hours and the days to come. As they, as they are a light in the world around them, as they, as they share both in word and in deed the reality of who you are. that they wouldn't walk with an arrogance, but that they would walk with a confidence and that in the world around them, that they wouldn't be a blinding light, but that they would definitely be a guiding light. God, let, let, let your child, let, let your daughter, let your son, let them walk with confidence and peace. And God, I, I pray this over each person as an individual. And I pray it collectively over this church. God, that you would, that you would give us clarity in our identity. And that we wouldn't embrace anything that anyone else wants to speak over us. And God, that that we would refrain from, from trying to trying to determine our own identity, but that we would accept your name over us. That we wouldn't get sucked into the trap of of being world pleasers or or, or people pleasers. But that our, our worship would be heavenward. That our adoration would be heavenward that our thoughts would be heavenward, that our heart would be heavenward, that our activity would have a heavenward reflection to it. And God, let us not miss one, one infinitesimal aspect of the destiny that you have for us. I speak your blessing over every individual. I speak your blessing over a church. 
For you, friend, you are an overcoming child of God. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are a mighty warrior. You are beloved by the Father. And you have an incredible future. Walk in that and live in that. Stop allowing people to define you. And I beg you, stop speaking these negative things over yourself. Only speak over you what God speaks over you. And watch and see if it doesn't change your life just a little bit.